0: Welcome to Cloud & Clear, one of our newer customers, partners, I can say that, um, and someone that's building something extremely unique, using uh, Google Cloud to help do that. So please, a very warm welcome to Dave Ward. He's the CEO of Packet Fabric.
1: Hey, thanks, Tony. Really happy to be here and love me some cloud and love to talk about it and plus how to get there with the network. So I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation.
0: You've been in the space for a long time, and I always like to talk about uh, when I have a guest, sort of their story, their history, how they they got to the role at the company that they're currently in. And, you know, doing my research a little bit, I see that, you know, you have a deep rooted um, history in networking with Cisco and Juniper and Cisco again and, um, you know, I'd love to talk about that journey, because I think in the era that you were in those places, that was some of the most groundbreaking work being done in all of technology. And you could argue without that groundbreaking work, there would be no cloud. So I'm just really curious about that, that journey over the last you know decade plus um, in those two super exciting companies uh, and how that shaped your career.
1: Uh, and you know that sounds great because you 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 can't get to cloud without a network and i'm one of those true dyed purple you know networking geeks i love me some networks so um so let me let me tell you a bit about it so i uh i actually even before cisco uh worked at a startup that was acquired by ascend communications if folks remember that and then i decided to leave ascend and i went to a uh a startup consulting group called the internet engineering group that built routing protocol software system design and 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 kernel work and forwarding work for basically all the networking startups in the late 90s and on december 17th 1999 at 350 3 p.m although who's counting um we were acquired by cisco and that was a friday afternoon and uh And we had, you know, we had worked in the past on designing a number of these big systems. And on December 20th, a Monday, I drove up to building 10, which is Cisco's executive building. And there was a blonde haired guy with a Southern drawl out front with his hand stuck out. And that was John Chambers. And he said, hey, you know, welcome to Cisco and come on in. Let me introduce you to the gang. Well, the gang was all the, was the CTO, you know, the chief science officer, all the distinguished engineers and fellows that. Basically, were my idols. I mean, I was in my late 20s at the time. Wow. And they had built all this equipment. And he handed me a dry erase marker and said, draw the design of our next core router, turned to the crowd and said, let's see what we paid for and walked out of the room. And so (laughs) (laughs) I like to tell that story because, um, look, that's the way technology actually gets built. People who are given a chance and people who um, have have experience and, and ideas in this area and at Cisco in that first round, I built the was a designer of iOS XR, which is their service provider operating system, the CRS 1310, the ASR9K, worked on the asr one k like basically all the optical and big iron kit. And, you know, actually, this sounds strange, Tony, but I actually kind of got bored of building routers to a certain degree after building 24 or so in a row and uh throughout my career. So I decided to go over to Juniper, where I've got a lot of life friends um, and a great company. And worked with uh, you know, the beginning of uh the next gen generation of Junos and helped build with PTX um and and a number of ASICs. And there, working with Pradeep Sindhu, who's one of the founders of Juniper, was kind of the really beginning the discussion of software-defined networking at Mm -hmm. Stanford with Nick McEwen and Martin Casado and coming out of Gates 104. That's the famous building in the room that the SDN group would meet weekly on Stanford campus. And although we have built a number of programmable interfaces into iOS XR at Cisco and into Junos, it was not, uh, really the way that, that networking devices and networking was done at that time. It was still was very much a traditional IT stack. And so now I'm going to move through the second stage of Cisco. Uh, when John asked me to come back to, to Cisco, he said, Hey, Dave, look, there's this SDN thread out there and. <clears throat> What are we going to do about it? What's your strategy? As that was kind of one of his interview questions, if you want to think of it that way, although we're longtime friends. And I said, look, John, I I really think you're thinking about SDN incorrectly. It's it's not a threat that's going to really take, make networking less important. If your customers can program the network faster and get more bandwidth and more traffic on that to solve the problems they want to, you're selling more ports. And so in my and so the light bulb went off and flipped there goes Cisco's strategy over to let's make it programmable. So in mm-hmm. the second stance, worked on the operating systems to open up programmable interfaces. But look, let's face it: when you're talking about the cl- with the emergence of cloud, at the same time, the ability to easily dial up CPU and RAM and storage, oh yeah, and this model of you're only paying for what you use, that still didn't exist in networking and traditional whether they're telcos or cable companies or otherwise they had legacy stacks of software that were almost incompatible with real-time on demand and with this new business model so look i pushed and i pushed and working with at a system integrator and a great vendor like cisco you have to work with your customers for them to believe to get into the business right. that you're talking about for them to then use your equipment to be in that business and look that takes a very very long time and you can probably tell by the pace that I speak, I'm a pretty impatient guy. And um, I, the industry wasn't moving as fast as I wanted to or where I wanted it to go, which really is where I am now at Packet Fabric, which is a cloud native network as a service platform, abstracting away the network where you can real time on demand dial up connectivity into into the cloud. It's API-driven, so solution delivery partners can integrate to our API and build a better productivity-as-a-service solution. And not only is it that technology disruption, it's that business disruption of pay for what you use, short-term, even pay for only the volume that you send across it. So in sum, I'm finally putting my money where my mouth is and and all the work that I've tried to do by building up the kit and building up uh, the operating systems and then the tools. But now... Now I decided to build a company and work and join a company that that's building this technology specifically.
0: Isn't that, isn't that interesting that no, no one's sort of immune from being disrupted after a certain amount of time, like some of the success of whoever arguably creates a market becomes exactly what holds them back. And, you know, maybe even exposed to to. uh Impending disruption they may or may not see. And even if they see, they may not be able to execute fast enough to to get ahead of. Isn't that just fascinating about our industry?
1: Everything every aspect
0: of the different facets of
1: innovators' dilemma are are just outstanding issues because they become the stalling points of of a bit of a company. Then potentially of a business, but then of the industry, and all of a sudden you need a disruption by an entrepreneur or just a different vector coming in to be able to fundamentally move the industry forward. I I like to think that network as a service is here for the for to really enable a programmable internet. That's really what we're talking about. The internet is a beautiful thing. You know, I, I poured my my soul into into building the equipment underneath it and trying to trying to build out this great communications. Network that we have, but it's not programmable. You can't get from the internet what you want from it. That's why you need network as a service. And that's why you need APIs on top of more than just a device, but actually across the end to end um, between data centers, between clouds, between SaaS providers, you know, onto Google cloud storage providers, uh, et cetera, security providers. Those all become, you know, really that. Modern way of doing enterprise IT, which frequently is just reduced down to quote digital transformation.
0: Right. And digital yeah, transformation is
1: kind of in a kind of generic. It,
0: yeah.
1: It's a nice tagline, but in effect, every aspect of enterprise IT architecture is being disrupted. We know that this notion of a campus, you know, we've just gone through 2020 and we know that employees aren't going to campus. So the existing architecture of Drag all, assume all the employees are there or drag all the traffic to an enterprise campus, build a mode around it of security services. And that becomes an enterprise's entree onto internet based services. That model's done, right? We know that all the applications are driven out of different clouds and we know that workloads yep. are going multi cloud. And so therefore that quote digital disruption also moves itself towards can, can the industry deliver? IT as a service, or I'm going to take it one step forward, productivity as a service, which is access to all the tools you need to run your business, of which network as a service is a, is a foundational piece of that and perhaps the last bit of infrastructure to uh, to join that party.
0: So so in that journey, I mean, what's, what's interesting about your role now is that you're, you're truly an engineer, like an engineer's engineer, who evolved through a series of experiences at startups and the largest enterprises on the planet. And now you're an engineer turned CEO. Not every engineer is able to make that kind of transition. It um
1: it has been a fascinating experience full of sleepless nights and a massive amount of anxiety, I have to tell you the truth. But um let me let me explain it this way, Tony, and you know this, uh, in your role, as a CEO, you're out of excuses. There's no there's nobody else who made a decision that that you know you were stuck with. You are you're at the top. It's for me, thankfully, in the company that I'm in, it's actually not a lonely job. I have you know, the the founders, Anna Anna Claiborne and Jezebel Gilmore are are just outstanding and supportive and oh, amazing
0: rock star female founders, <laughs> by the way.
1: Oh, they're they're unbelievable. And they were just you know the by, uh,
0: with Google Cloud, I think it was Carolee Gerhardt who uh posted about um uh, something that we're doing with Google Cloud, uh, around, uh, this, you know, uh, uh women's, international women's month and day. And I was like, wow, th- these are, these are rock stars over here that founded this company. And I'm about to talk to Dave. So I was excited. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the, um, look. Anna and Jezebel are more than just rock stars. They are superior at their positions. They are just fantastic. And if anytime I ever build a team in the future, I want those, those two women on it because they are, they're just fantastic. But additionally, uh, look, the way the company was found in the technology, because it was a technology first company, which as an engineer naturally made me even more than normal gravitate towards my target zone of the technology. But because Anna is so strong as a leader leading our product in engineering and because the the company was founded technology first, I actually didn't have to go in and go like start mucking around or, or needing to to, to to mess with the technology whatsoever. The team had a great handle on it. What I wanted to do was pivot towards a channel and partner relationship, something I learned from Cisco and something that just straight straight business that, look a startup can never build the direct sales force and you know yeah. the direct sales go to market motion yeah. uh, alone and actually make the impact and growth that they need to and so i pivoted us to a a channel partner reseller type model and that's how that's how we got to know each other and and brought in really as a ceo realizing i don't have a ton of a long standing sales experience brought in the talent that did and so you, you know as as you know tony the way you measure a leader is really are are they good enough to bring in talent for their own weaknesses and mm. support support the areas that they aren't strong in and sure. that's what I've been focusing on. Never, we're all we're all blind to a lot of our weaknesses, but if you can admit to some, you know, you can make some progress.
0: This set of founders started this company six years ago, and at some point, they brought in a CEO. I think that's admirable. I think it uh, portrays a certain level of self awareness. And I think from what I can tell, it's actually sort of a, a match made in heaven based on your experience. Um, and, uh, the company seems to be doing really, really well. And I want to understand, um, at the stage, sort of the, the investment on, on the Google cloud side and the GCP partnership, both from the technology standpoint, but also obviously, from partnership, go to market, et cetera. But oh what what sort of drove Packet Fabric to to invest on you know building on top of GCP? So really we we have we built our network as a service
1: platform because that's the intellectual property of the company it is really a SaaS platform. It's and we needed of course what the what GCP offers. Regional redundancy, full scale out is, as large as we need to go. We have a platform now that, you know, although we're only in 186 pops or so, and yes, we, we've created partnerships with other telcos, we can scale out because of our use of GCP to, to be able to manage and orchestrate the world's largest telecoms and the world's largest cable companies. And awesome. so it was instantaneous scaling, enabling us to have the performance that we needed, enable us the redundancy we needed, and and frankly, uh, GCP has been a great partner for us to build that product on top of um, because all the services and tools were there for us to use. And so then when we were looking, look, there's other companies like us that need to build their businesses out of the cloud or need to run their businesses out of the cloud. What does, and I, and I mentioned to you earlier about the channel partner piece, what does that mean? Who can we work with that can also help other companies follow our path or that can use us as a use case for carrying that forward? And that's how we got to know each other.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think the timing of our uh, engagement was really uh, fortunate with us finally building, I think, the, the infrastructure around this broad vision we've had for a long time, but just not the infrastructure so to, to run alliances in a proper way. Like all of our customers who run on GCP that want to partner more closely around things beyond Great technology and great support and great account management and all of that. Um, I think the timing was was quite quite perfect. And you're you're one of our first handful of alliance partners, and we're really excited about it. and And we really like Google's view on this, and we're really following their lead, which is they want to be they don't want to be in everybody's business. <laughs> they don't want to be in <laughs> your business. They want to enable businesses like yours and be the de facto. No, like bar none, best choice for every other SaaS company, platform company, um, enterprise software company, every ISE, whatever ISV sort of an outdated term. But, and I think we're seeing because of case studies like this, the, we're getting proof points now as to why, you know, Google is the best choice for, for, uh, for companies like Packet Fabric. And we have, you know, several in the pipeline. And I think that's a very interesting angle. It's not like what business is this cloud vendor really in or are they really going to encroach in my space? It's very much like, hey, we want to be uh, the scaffolding and uh, the, the, the tooling, but you build the building like we're not going to build your building. We're not going to be in you know, the CRM space. It's not going to be good, like, you know, so it's really nice. That they have this market view, and and when Thomas Kurian and Rob Menzlin talk about it, it's really credible. You, it, it sounds like, yeah, that's I get that strategy. Uh,
1: I do, and also one thing that Google also does well is they are focusing on many of the verticals that we are as well. So they have a really big media and entertainment business. I've through my Cisco uh, career and and brought that also now to Packet Fabric with some folks. Have ties directly into the rendering aspects and the shoot to cloud and the uh, transcoding and different pieces. Where look, these are tools that are needed in the trade for certain verticals. And where when I look to focus on my verticals, I look to see where, look where can I take them. What con- what you know? What alliances? What partnerships do I have that I know can solve these problems? And yeah. that's that's really the way business works.
0: No, totally. I think the vertical uh, approach is 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 inevitable. You know, as a product or, or go-to-market organization matures, I think at some point to tackle the largest of customers, it's imperative that we speak to them in their language and understand their business. We we started building that kind of capability a couple of years ago as well. And healthcare, media, entertainment, retail, um, financial services—just very, very you know important. And but we also consider. Uh, packet Fabric as, as part of the, sort of the SaaS vertical, digital native vertical. So that's something that is is an interesting way to look at <laughs> this class of customers. But your needs are, are quite unique. And I think we want to continue to be pur- purpose built to, to be the best MSP that you guys can have supporting you in your, in your Google Cloud journey. Um, I want to ask you about the future a little bit. Um, We've just gone through a whole year of a bunch of uncertainty. Uh, certainly the beginning, like this time last year was like, holy, what's going on? What's going to happen? Right. A lot of panic. And then, uh, you know, you have this historical context, 10, 20 years of just seeing, you know, every other wave, right, of, of every, every paradigm shift um, uh, in, in recent, you know, computing history. And we've gone through this period where we did suspect, some of us did, and I have myself in a recording when I was speaking to our whole company in March, when I said, I believe this will accelerate parts of the digital journey for our customers. Yes, there will be this uncertainty period, but, and I think 12 months later, like we've seen a bunch of that acceleration, I'm sure you've seen a bunch of that acceleration. What what do you think that's gonna do in terms of carrying forward? And what do you think from our standpoint, our, our joint standpoint, like what is the new normal going to look like and, and how is it gonna what is it gonna demand of us?
1: So uh, look what I what I see in front of us uh is not only as I alluded to earlier, that full enterprise Productivity stack transformation. And, and the reason why I want to focus on that for a second is look, we need connectivity, security, UC, collaboration, storage. We need all sorts of these. And then, of course, we need analytics and, and, and development platforms and on and on to move these businesses forward. What, um, that was the conversation of get to cloud five years ago. And then it was, okay, I've moved part of my business to cloud. Now with like those conversations aren't even in discussion anymore. It's how can I move and transform my entire business forward? And so the reason why I mentioned this to answer your question first is that notion of owning and managing and operating your own IT stack, your full business stack, I think is all moving to as a service. And so therefore, look, the the first wave of this we've we kind of went through, let's say, right before the pandemic, a couple of years before and into the pandemic of DIY, where folks were willing to take bits and pieces and move it. DIY is only for folks beyond the, you know, right at the tip of the spear or beyond the tip of the spear. And now that it's mainstream, um, there is a massive amount of business and a massive amount of, for, for us and for for others like us um, or in the market size. But really what's needed is tying these pieces together in very much a turnkey manner. And and delivering, uh, how to how to establish, build, run, and transform a business to run fully out of the cloud and fully remotely. And I say this because we, who knows how many people will be going back to campus in the near future. But right. We know it's fewer than it was, uh, without a doubt. And so we know that any amount of hybrid, on campus, off campus, or remote working just necessitates the need to have the employee experience and work life fully established and set up on demand at all times. And so as we step forward and we talked about a number of verticals that have some specific needs of media and entertainment, healthcare, fintech, retail, and and on. But uh, in essence, once that IT has been expressed into the cloud, we do realize that things become geographic, regional, Uh, There are different services and capabilities that are just required to build these pieces out. And so as you and I both work with, let's say, GCP and the discussion of multi-cloud workflows, they're really just multi-geographic data center workflows where you need to either follow the sun or you need a certain amount of compute storage, GPU, et cetera, out of of a different region or another. That is where the, the future really is in making this very, very easy to be able to do. Now, let me give, now, because I'm a networking geek, I'm going to describe the problem in networking terms for a second. If I need to move from, you know, an enterprise into the cloud, often you, you just get a direct internet access link. And if you need to get to another region, you have another direct internet access link. Or if you need to go to a private data center operator because you're in a hybrid cloud environment, okay, you know, you've got another DIA link there. Moving data between these regions in these data centers creates a tromboning of traffic which gets very expensive, is very time consuming. It's, uh, and it's frankly unnecessary from a networking point of view. And moving data directly between these regions and between these, between these pieces is something that we do very well because of the fabric nature that we have. And so as enterprises fully express themselves into the cloud and into multi-region and multiple geographies, the management then of where the data is located how to have the replication high availability, how to have the sharding of data such that it's, you know, you're, you're okay through disasters, uh, et cetera, becomes a very, very key point of management that tech companies like yours and mine actually can handle. So I'm going to go back to that, that age old, that, that cliche I gave you a few minutes ago, which was if this is not the intellectual property of, of your business to the end customer, owning, managing, operating, engineering, these details come to us because that's what we do and, you know, insert key turn. And we've got a really, really simple to use, easy solution that basically solves those problems. So you don't have to, you know, spend the money, find the tech and talent under, you know, find the resources and maintain and support your own resources for now and ever more into the future, because that's the new, that's the new solution. That's the new way of doing business. Get it all as a service and allow folks who are the super geeks to do what they do really well and and enable other people to do the business that
0: they do really well. Yeah, no, it makes makes complete sense. I mean, I remember uh, the dozens and dozens of customers we had, they couldn't deal with the rapid shift to work from home in March. They just their networks were not built for it. Their identity and security strategy was not like VPNs and stuff like that. Still so pervasive. Endpoint security is like it was built for 10 percent of you know capacity. Right. Um, and we had public sector customers, large enterprises all sort of falling down. And I think they've all kind of learned their lesson and hence the acceleration on some of the other productivity tools. But then, you know, core applications and how uh, all of that is routed to to the, the people, their employees and, and, and the customers, wherever they are, is just going to be. Uh, the view and the architecture is going to look different, I think, moving forward, probably forever, and I think that's great for you guys and and great for us. And and uh, these are these are things that would have probably evolved to anyway, but I think we just had a five year, ten year compression. I do too. The yeah.
1: they, the gas pedal was stomped on on this transformation and on and on this move that you and I have been chatting about, you know, today. This move towards. This isn't, this isn't core to my business in old core context business yeah. language. And and that is core to our business and what we, we both do very, very well. And so, again, let us do that and, and you know, you get back to running your business and uh, we'll set up the model that's going to be most efficient to make it happen.
0: Pivoting a little bit. So we're both CEOs. Our companies are growing, um, you know, with regards to culture ad packet fabric um, and how, you know, your view of like the contribution that you want to bring in and instill in the organization as you grow and add more employees and headcount, etc. things get more complex, people are now distributed, culture is sort of more important than ever. What are the elements that you love and admire from the larger environments uh, that you worked in and learned to operate successfully in like Juniper and Cisco? That you love and and you want to instill in a place like Packet Fabric, and and then what are the things that you want to do completely differently?
1: So, uh, it's 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 tough to say whether I learned or and this is you know me rebelling against my big corporate background or me uh, embracing it. So so let me tell a bit story. Look, one thing that um, I am I absolutely instill into the company is operational excellence. So there's no doubt I'm a numbers person. <clears throat> and so I want to be very, very efficient in the way we use resources and the way we think about where we're moving as a company. And what I mean by that is I do want to know what is the cost to build a new product. And I do want to analyze and understand the return. And that might sound like business 101, but in startups and in high tech, there's very much a build it and they will come attitude. Right. And you know what? You can build it, but unless you plan the sales marketing and, and you understand who you're gonna who you're gonna work with and who your customers and partners are going to be they might not show up and silicon valley has got heaps of startups that uh you know made that mistake of really not running the business efficiently and focusing on operational excellence okay so that certainly came out of my big corporate um uh, background uh and and also just personal nature but when i came to packet fabric one of the cultural the biggest cultural value when i walked in the door what and something that is very important to me was transparency i do actually believe that the more the employees know about what you're doing why you're doing it where everybody's going people are adults people are professionals and and like you we only hire the best we can possibly bring into the company and i i have full faith and respect for my employees that i can give them information and talk to them about things on where we're going and trajectories we're going and they know not to sell the vision if it's too far out and sell what's on the truck just from a a simple sales point of view but also that they deserve to know where we're taking the company why we're taking it there why we're doing the pivot and i talk about it weekly with the company uh we've got a number of and have created a number of cultural company get together points and it's some of them are official and some of them are not official whether it's start off monday morning with the all hands And we actually talk about how the company is doing and new products coming out and new builds we're going to do, et cetera, uh, and celebrate um, accomplishments and wins and things like this to getting together and being able to have open conversations about the products we're building, how they work, what the customers really need from them between the field and our inner engineers, which is something I wanted to bring that didn't happen in some of the big companies that I worked at that, in fact... Bringing that customer view, that outside-in view, and and having our engineering and products led by our customers and partners absolutely was something I wanted to bring to the company and keep going. And then, of course, we celebrate and get together for, for quick, you can call them happy hours or whatever. And we actually have different employees host them. So we've had everything from uh, DJ cool. lessons to cooking lessons to farming lessons and it's really fun because individuals get to express themselves and when like us when you're 100 remote and always have been remote meaning we don't have two employees that go to the same physical location for wow. a while anywhere on the planet and never oh, you've have. always been that
0: you've always been that way
1: yeah ever since day one has been 100 wow
0: remote. the only other company i know that talks about that openly is Git, the GitLab uh folks yeah and
1: i people. And look, I, I left Cisco where I went into work every single day. And I was at my desk, you know, 6 a.m. in the morning, and I was there till 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 late in the evening. It's because, look, at Cisco, the sun never sets on the offices of Cisco. So I've got folks from Israel to India. So that was morning to night. And here we have folks all across the planet as well. But I was actually nervous because I'm very, I very much need to connect with the people that are at the company. I very much want to like everybody and look if it's not a good cultural fit then people can can be successful in another company but we are not going to have uh the situation where there's going to be toxicity or there's drama or politics right. or these yeah. types of things because we don't have time for it No, now, no that million jerks. Said, that's for sure the no need to hire jerks but to accomplish that really is very open purpose and it takes activity and it takes effort to have open communication between groups. And look, that also during the pandemic, how can you avoid the Zoom burnout or just the, yeah. the overall burnout of these video conference meetings? And so we had to very much uh, work out that balance and work out the balance of how to have clear, transparent, open communication. But stepping forward, the way that we overcame the the burnout fatigue of video conference calls is by actually bringing in both an HR platform uh, where uh we, because we're very, we're OKR driven, mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as some of the other support tools that are necessary, including, this is pretty straightforward, program management tools and project management tools to find the dependencies between the groups of people.
0: Mm-hmm. And once
1: you're able to link, because we grew from 40 something people in March of 2020 to now over 140 people about a year later. Wow. You're creating not only a new culture, you're creating new dependencies upon people you don't know. And those ties need to be the strongest ties in the company. And so you can do that with some programmatic activities, as you know very well as a CEO, but you need to do it with communication and trust pathways. And I'm very, very big on enabling responsibility and holding accountability. And so, and my number one thing is every team has to be able to predict themselves. We've hired professionals. The definition for me of being a professional is being able to predict your own capabilities and the capabilities of your team if you're a leader on cost, on resources, on time, on effort, and then, of course, on quality. And so with the ability and constantly working, because nobody's perfect on all of those, constantly working towards those different pieces of being able to predict how things are going to turn out, you then can have teams and enable teams to trust each other. And that trust factor and that open communication trust factor becomes the way that you can avoid gang meetings, decisions by committee, analysis paralysis, and allow people to, you know, first time for a sports metaphor, people to play their position.
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, that uh, dedication to, to operational rigor is super, super important. I do agree that the big companies do it well. Sometimes that's all they do and, you know, that's where you lose the magic. So you need a good combination of the qualitative and the quantitative, but without the quantitative, you just can't scale. And I agree. I think there's tombstones, not the good kind, but the ones that are like all the companies that, you know, blew an opportunity like the one we're experiencing, I think, in this era um, of te- technological sort of quantum leap evolution of they blew this moment, you know, and it was sort of. Um, because of lack of rigor and i and i also believe that as i look at our 21 year history now um self-funded services a little different than than sort of a SaaS you know product company's journey but uh i i always want to feel like we don't want to take our else to take ourselves out 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 of the game you know (laughs) like we don't want to do it to ourselves like it's really in in our own hands in terms of uh how well we execute in this period of time um and and, and we ourselves are trying to get better about being able to measure things that are very very important
1: yeah and and for me look uh you as i mentioned and i'll say this really clearly trust is very important to me and enabling people is equally important but you enable people who you trust and you enable people you know you can trust because what they what they say they can do they do and they deliver and they deliver with excellence and you know that doesn't mean i'm just hiring You know people with decades and decades of experience because look i need some energy i need some activity i need some hunger in the group so that also means that you need to bring along people and create a mold that of the way that interaction enablement trust responsibility is to be held and respected you know within a company and between groups and i am abs i'm 100 you know cultural value really based upon enabling folks to have a great opportunity to hit to be able to hit it out of the park to help them when when there's issues that that maybe they need decisions to be made or they need additional support or additional resources and check-ins, but then really let them shine and 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 in particular enable the entire team to have success. That yeah. that really becomes nothing nothing activates a company and an employee base and teams within that 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 uh, company better than success. And as you know, Tony, success breeds success once you once you get on that train.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and I think uh, exceptional people attract other exceptional people. And I think once you get the core culture going and understand the fit, and you're able to recruit talent that amazes you even, which I'm sure you're experiencing now, it's like, oh my God, these people want to work here. <laughs> it's amazing. The, the way that cascades out is, is super important. And so we do spend also a lot of time on that, on on also making sure our managers are good managers. I think a lot of organizations, as they scale, they become weak in the middle. People get promoted into management roles they're not prepared for, they did not even want. And now people, <laughs> like, they love the company, but don't like their manager and they they leave. And, you know, all of us want people to not to, you know, some people might leave eventually, but not for those reasons. We want them to leave for the right reasons. So. Um, the
1: last thing, I, Tony, the last thing I wanted to mention that's yeah. important to me, and I wanted to separate it from the other topics because it is so important, and that actually is a, a discussion on diversity. So it's not, diversity for me is a diversity of thought, and a great yeah. company and a great engineering team and a high-tech company needs very a lot of different viewpoints, and to create a diversity of thought, you need a diversity of, of people, yes. whether it's gender, it's you know, beliefs, religion, creed, or or any any aspect that brings in differentiation in new ideas is the lifeblood of a tech company and is a lifeblood of all kind of advantage. Yeah, I completely and, agree. And so, everybody, you know, in Packet Fabric does not come from the same mold. You know, do you have a PhD from insert your insert the top university in, in the yeah. U.S. or on the planet in? electrical engineering and networking or something. Instead, it's a very diverse group of different talents because, uh, look, that that is our lifeblood. Yeah. And that is what allows different views of the same problem to come up with a better solution than a gang of people all with the same experiences looking at that problem.
0: Could not agree more. And I think it's it's even new in my mind that I've learned just in the last maybe three to five years that uh it's important to be intentional about creating an inclusive and diverse organization it's not uh inevitable that that happens um it's intentional that gets us there and i you know i'm proud of the leaps that we've made as an organization our maturity and our diversity and i and i i think it's probably no accident that we're also performing better than we ever have and i completely believe that uh, a more diverse team is a better performing team a better place to work and a more creative environment and, and all those all those things. So uh, I'm glad I'm glad we're with the same mind because tech like our sector needs that. I mean, it helps. Packet Fabric was founded by amazing women. It helps, um, but uh, but that's not the case everywhere. And I think we all have a role to play in creating uh, a more diverse environment and inclusive environment in our in our industry.
1: I think now what we're seeing out of out of uh, academia is that in fact the statistics prove us both out. That the more diverse a company is, the more powerful, the more growth, the more revenue and, and yeah. anything, whether you're looking at stock price or otherwise, it proves itself out that diversity drives, creates a better business.
0: Yeah, the data is there to support it, which is which is actually necessary for it to be sustainable because you can't do it just because the market expects it or because our customer, like it has to be something that proves, proves itself out. And, and I think the data is there. And uh, uh, David, it's been a pleasure. I think that's exactly the right type of tone to, to, to end our time together on. We could probably talk forever. Uh, I'm glad that we got to know each other a lot better uh, in this segment. Know that uh, I'm your uh, advocate, friend, executive sponsor here at SADA as well. You can reach out to me for, uh, anytime any time for anything. And I really greatly value the trust and the partnership. Um, and uh, we're here to, to do everything we can to make Packet Fabric wildly successful.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Tony. And um, together, my goal is to change the way the world does business and fundamentally change the internet architecture towards the solutions that we provided with partners like you. And it's been just a great conversation and great to get to know you, Tony. Thanks a ton.
0: Cheers to that. Thank you for being my guest.
1: Thank you for listening to Cloud & Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud & Clear and our website, sada.com.
0: Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.